Green Team Academy podcast, episode 47, interview with Frank Holzman, author, researcher, and farmer on taking a spiritual approach to gardening. If you're ready to become an eco-leader in your community, then you're in the right place. I'm Joan Gregerson, and I work to help teams make a big impact fast. Don't forget to head over to greenteamacademy.com to get your very own Green Team Essentials. I put these together for you because this is exactly what I wished I had had when I was starting out. Join our fabulous community, download the free guide to 12 common but easily avoidable mistakes, and hop into our podcast discussion group. I can't wait to meet you there. And now, let's get started. Hey, Green Team, what's up? I'm so happy to be with you again today, and I'm really excited that you're here today because you're going to get a chance to listen in to my chat with Frank Holzman. And Frank is someone that I found when I was out um, promoting some of these webinars that I've been doing, and it's been a very fortuitous connection. Uh, Frank is an organic horticulturist. He's a farmer, a researcher. He has a nonprofit called REAP, R-E-A-P, and he helps people around the world figure out this gardening thing. And so I thought, who better to invite to to talk with us today to help you guys out there that are listening figure out how you can start a community garden or maybe revive one or, you know, just take those next steps in your community. So with that, Frank, I just want to first say thank you and and hello. Yeah, thank you, Joan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited. Did I leave anything out of your bio that we should mention before we, we dive into this? No, there's a, no, there's there's too much of a bio to go into. It. Right. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing I've been doing this since the early seventies. So. Right, and we are going to be talking about Frank's book that's called Radical Regenerative Gardening and Farming. So, and that's something that if you type that into a search engine, so it's Radical Regenerative Gardening and Farming, or if you type Frank's name, Frank Holzman, H-O-L-Z-M-A-N, then you can find that. Um, so we'll be talking about that more later, but just wanted to give you a heads up before we start diving in. Okay, so Frank, before we get too far, how about just tell us a little bit about yourself and what brought you to this whole, your passion, and how did you come across gardening? Uh, well, it's kind of a nice story. I was I was traveling around as a young man, uh, which was easier to do in the 70s, in the early 70s. And uh, having a difficult time trying to get connected and finding a focus. And it actually, it wasn't so much that I found it as, as much as it found me. And I was in a, in a place in California and I just, it just kind of happened. Uh, someone introduced me to that. There's all this work. And I started doing, I went to this community college and they had this job placement and they were looking for young, strong, you know, people with a, someone with a strong back (laughs) <laughs> That's all they wanted, and uh, to do yard work. And I ended up on these estates in the uh, area that probably would be called Silicon Valley, but south of San Francisco. And I started doing yard work, and then I, I ended up on a lot of really wonderful estates. And I became their maintenance gardener. And then I started doing landscaping. Then I went down to the community college, 
and start taking classes. And it was, it was wonderful. I mean, it was just this wonderful thing that I, I realized that I enjoyed doing immensely. And then taking the classes, one thing led to another. Then I ended up going to the university and University of California and studying agriculture. And then I studied uh, horticulture. What I did back then was I read books. And if I found a book by somebody like Richard Merrill, I found his book, Radical Agriculture. And I was fascinated by it. And I saw he was studying. He was teaching at a school down the coast. So I went down to Santa Cruz and uh, started taking classes at his, at his, from him. And then in the process of doing that, I discovered Alan Chadwick's garden at UC Santa Cruz, University of California, Santa Cruz. And that's where I got introduced to what I do now, which is biodynamic French intensive. So it's horticultural, but it's more, it's more small scale. It's more like market gardening or it's, it's uh, creating a lot of diversity. It's, it's really very horticultural. It's hands-on, but it's, uh, it involves a lot of the philosophies of biodynamics. So it's a little bit more of a spiritual approach than, than just playing in the dirt. Uh, you, you know, you embrace everything that's, that's on a piece of land. In other words, you treat a land as if it's a living organism. So all the different facets of a piece of land represent that land's ecosystem. So you work with that, and you don't, you, you know, you try to coexist with the land rather than go in there and try to tame it or dominate it. You you listen to it, and it teaches you, and you become part of it. And so that's what I do. That's what I teach, and uh, and that's my passion. That's what I do. I go in in places, and I remediate land, and I set up gardens and take in places. And you know, basically, what it comes down to is healing land because there's no shortage of land that needs restoration and remediation. There's a lot of damaged land out there. There's really not a shortage of land. There's a shortage of people wanting to do the work. So that's what I do. That's what I I try to share with other people, and that's what I try to set up. And sometimes some projects are more successful than others. Some have been quite disastrous, and, you know, you end up in a country, and you try to do something, you realize, wow, you know, I shouldn't have come. But you're there, and you make the most of it. And other situations I've walked into have been into, have been grand, and you wish, gee, I wish I could stay, but I don't have that visa. So then you're you're on about on to the next one. So it's been an interesting series of events. Wow! And so- most of that's because I've never been able to own a piece of land, uh, which has allowed me to travel around the world. But uh, yeah, it's it's given me a lot of a lot of experiences. I know how to work in deserts, jungles, mountains, tropical environments, and uh, rainforests and, and whatnot. And so that, that's, you know, it gives you a more well-rounded, diverse background. And that's only, you know, that's only inspired me to do more work. Wow. So much interesting stuff that you just said right there. Yeah, and I love that that you're that it's a spiritual approach because I think that is what I keep learning again and again is that if there is an area of your life for me personally, if there's an area of my life that I don't treat as part of my spiritual practice, it doesn't go very well. I I'm just kind of I'm I'm currently yeah, I'm I'm currently doing this program with my finances, and I, I realized that I have kind of set my finances off to the side while I was trying to live in a spiritual way. But it doesn't work to take any one part of your life and say, 
well, that's not spiritual. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it all has to be. And so, so this idea of yeah, um, I, I, we're all learning that. We're all we're all figuring that out, you know, and and continually and continually. So taking that spiritual approach and treating it as living organism. And I, my background is, I was trained as an engineer, and that is, I think, the number one problem with my education was that there was no interconnectedness. They would say, you know, ignore the interactions. And, you know, that's how you solve the problem. Because you, you can't you can't handle all that stuff in just a simple mathematical thing. And so I think what that does is it gives people that framework that you are just doing this one thing. And by doing so, you're so it's so limiting in, in so many ways. What's well, one dimensional? And a garden is three dimensional. And I hear this from people all the time. Well, you're not really going to learn it if you don't do it. And that being said, that's so true. But at the same time, it doesn't hurt to have an education. It's nice to go to the, you know, it's nice to have gone to the universities and gone to these schools and have that technical perspective. So that when I'm talking to these doctors and so on, I used to work for the University of Georgia, and they, you know, I could interact with them on their level at least to a to a certain degree, and. Uh, and also the fact that, you know, I mean, people do gardens because it's not just, you can't do it one-dimensionally. You can't do it because, oh, I just want food, or, oh, I just want to do this because it's practical, or I'm going to do it to make money, you know. You're not, there's so many better ways to make a living than farming. So <laughs> it's got to feed you spiritually, yeah. you know. And, I, for instance, one of the things I grow is cut flowers. And I'm not going to get into this too deep, but... But I love cut flowers. I was introduced to that in a farm in California that I apprenticed with, which was a very inspiring place to be. And that kind of, I felt like I got the gospel there, you know. People say, well, why do you grow flowers? And I say, well, they're food for the soul. But they're also a good market item. And then the other part of them is that I use them to attract beneficial insects. So when we talk about setting up a garden, I want to also tell people to Keep in mind that you want to, when you're doing a garden, don't just plant the carrots and the tomatoes and blah, 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 but also plant herbs and plant flowers and create, you know, a restore, a, a restoration, a restorative habitat. Because if you've got all these butterflies and all these things, it's all going to make, you know, what we're doing here is striving to create a balanced ecosystem. That's a healthy garden. That's a garden that takes care of itself, you know. Because if you're not moving with nature, you're moving against it, and you're not going to win. You know, it never works. And that that gardens, you know, are also are also great teachers. Because when people start doing a garden, they go, "I don't know where to start." Well, you you start as like an infant, and that's okay. That's a wonderful place to be. But as gardens grow, so does the gardener. And gardens are teachers. So they will teach you things, but hopefully you won't learn everything the hard way, and hopefully you won't have to reinvent the wheel. I wanted to just touch base on one of the things that you said that I think people would be a little bit surprised to hear that you said there's a lot of land that needs healing. A lot of us who don't have much experience gardening might think that the land is just the land is just the land, and 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 you know if you want to start a, a garden at say a school in a little little spot there or if you have a you know a church or a faith community and you decide to pull up the lawn and put something there i think people would think that they are healing 
themselves or maybe, you know, producing food to share in their community. But I don't know if people would really know. Look at it as like they're restoring the land. But if you, re- if you think about it, the land was developed by somebody probably with a bulldozer. And if that's a school or that's a church, that was landscaped. And there was something there before that. And there may have been possibly 10 inches of topsoil that was dragged off. And so most land has been abused either by, by humans and or their chemicals. And, you know, without, without a lot of forethought about, well, maybe someday somebody will come here and plant a garden, so we better leave it in pretty nice shape. Mm. That's the last, I mean, that's not on their mind at all. So very few places do you see really beautiful, healthy, wonderful topsoil and, and lush gardens and everything just growing naturally. We see that in pictures and images and stuff, but it's rare to, I mean, I think those places are out there. I have seen some amazing places in, in different par- parts of the world, but more often than not, I've seen places that have been damaged and scarred. Uh, I live in Georgia and we have red clay. They say, gee, you got that red clay. Well, it wasn't always red clay. There were actually several feet of topsoil, maybe eight to 10 feet of topsoil on top of all that. But that all got washed away because it was cotton farmed into oblivion. And now all that topsoil is either in the Gulf of Mexico or the Atlantic Ocean, depending on which way the the tributaries flowed. Wow. So this is probably a good part, a good point to to talk about. So let's say that we have a couple people that are listening that are thinking about starting a little garden, whether it's in their neighborhood or a school, faith community, you know, a city community garden, something like that, or even a business. So what what are some of those things? You, you said people don't have to keep making the same mistakes over and over again. So what are, what are some of the things, yeah, what, what would you recommend if somebody is starting out? I mean, first you want to find a place that looks like it'll work. And you want to make sure that the land has some, has some security to it. What I mean is that you, you, know, you have either have an oral agreement. If it's a church, then you're probably in good shape. Or a school, you're probably okay. Although things change. I've done school gardens, and the next thing you know, a principal changes, and, and you're gone. You know, so so you need something that says I'm going to do this with the intention that I'm going to do it, you know, long term or whatever that means. You know, so you want to have something that feels secure to you. Uh, the next thing you want to do is 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 make sure that you have the basics covered. You want to have sun. Uh, I mean, this sounds real simple, but yet it's not every. Oops, often overlooked. So sun, soil, water. Uh, if you're putting in a garden, you know, you, you need a source of water and uh, you're going to need a fence around it. You know, something to protect it. If you're out in the country, it's got to be a deer fence. It's, it's crazy. But if you're in the city, it's got to be something that'll keep dogs out. You know, so this is just common sense stuff that, you know, because it's, it's so discouraging to go out there and see the place get damaged by animals and think, God, we did all this work, you know, so you want to prevent that, Mm. these problems before they occur. Uh, So doing that, uh, next thing you want to do is make sure you got people who are going to be involved. You know, you, you, and then generally how, what that, what that means is that you're, you're inviting a group of people involved. Usually what happens is there's one person, it's probably that person that, that has that vision they're going to need to be the ones who are, who are going to be most responsible. 
uh, the, the way group dynamics work is they usually lead lean toward one person. And it's nice if you have an enthusiastic group of people that are willing to work together and cooperate and communicate and that you can delegate responsibility and make sure everything's being handled by a variety of people. Yet that one person's who it's all going to come back to because people are going to like, well, you know, we went on vacation. We did this, you know, my son got married or, you know, school's out, so on and so forth. You, you may end up being the person that does a little bit more work than others. Hopefully not the bulk of it. But if that is the case, then you have to be willing to embrace that. And that can be okay. Or, you know, I mean, you just have to weigh it out, you know, really. And, and, and each group is going to be its own, its own, like I said, have its own group of dynamics. I, I was just going to say, before we get too far, I mean, I, I wanted to come back to the, the first thing that you said about having a secure spot you mean somewhere that you're not going to invest your time and energy and then... They're going to build a house there at the end of the summer. Or or if the principle changes. So you're saying that that you want to get some kind of commitment. You want to give some kind of commitment that says, hey, we want to do this for the next several years. And and this is what we're thinking. and And go ahead and put that out there of... You know, would this be a problem if, like that, if the principle changes or if whatever, or is there, is, do you have any plans to do something different with this to, to go ahead and get that out there so you don't get um, squashed later <laughs> by not having that conversation? That's a good garden. That's a good garden term, squashed. But that's very true, you know. It would be nice to do a garden and think, you know, I'm going to move on someday and I would like to come back in 10 years from now and see that other people are doing it. And doing it with that kind of long-term intention, you know, it's a nice way to approach a garden. You know, I mean, like the idea of doing it, doing it intentionally, doing it long-term is, involves things like planting fruit trees. Because most people do gardens, well, we're not going to stay here. We don't know this land. We're not going to plant fruit trees. But on the other hand, why not? You know, <laughs> I mean, there's a saying... There's a saying of, of live each day like it's your last, but garden as if you're going to do it forever, you know, and approach the land that way. That's so interesting that you say that. Yeah, because I know there's one community garden that I visited a few times that friends of mine worked on. And, and yeah, they had planted fruit trees and had benches underneath them, even though there wasn't much shade just yet. But it was that intention of, you know, assuming that, you know, over time things would work out. And and so also like laying out your garden to include space for those and thinking about where the shade will be and thinking that through in the beginning. Just like a, just like a business plan. You have a one-year, two-year, three-year, five-year game plan, and you can do that with a garden. You know, you can do a garden that's going to be, this is how it's going to be now, and then it'll expand and grow, and we'll evaluate it and see how that goes. And if more people get involved, then we'll be able to expand the garden. It's nice to be able to approach it that way. You know, it may not work out, but at least have that intention that this is going to be here, and maybe it won't be here. But why not do it that way? Why not do it like you're going to do it really well? Mm-hmm. Like it's going to, you know, and then you kind of put that, that integrity into the work that you're doing. Right. You know, it's right. a little bit more motivation mm-hmm. to do it. You know, like people say, oh, you just stick these fruit trees in the ground, you know, they're going to kind of grow. And I'm always of the philosophy of if you get a $20 fruit tree, you put it in a $60 hole. 
So kind of like do it like you're going to do it once. You know, do everything like that. Because people say, God, that's a lot of work. But when you develop soil and when you do things with that in that respect, what happens is it gets easier because you've invested. It's just like it's just like living things are like that. If you invest in them, they pay you back. You know, if you raise a child and you spend a lot of time with them, they turn out to be this wonderful adult. And if you, you get a pet and you train it, it once becomes a wonderful animal. Well, gardens are very much alive. And so it's the same thing applies to them. You know, you invest in the soil, it pays you back. The idea of farming correctly means that it gets easier. Problems are diminished. Your yield goes up, your quality goes up, and your work goes, you know, gets to, I mean, initially when, when I get involved with a piece of land, I've done this with several, I call the first few years the honeymoon. It's not pleasant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a labor of love. You got to love it because it's a god-awful amount of work. But, you know, it'll pay you back if you're doing it well. And if you're not doing it well, it'll teach you how to do it well because then you'll hopefully you'll, you know, you, you hopefully you'll learn from some of your mistakes. But if you know a little bit about things or you learn from other places, then you can avoid some of these basic mistakes. But my idea, I tell people, I make educated mistakes. <laughs> it sounds kind of ironic, but it's true, though. You know, I'm not going to ever stop making mistakes because I'm never going to stop learning. But I've, I cut out all the by getting an education and by living on these beautiful farms, I was able to move right ahead to where I was making the more sophisticated, elevated, you know, to, I eliminated all those things, you know, that you, that you, that you, you don't have to do that. You know, I didn't have to reinvent the wheel, you know? Yeah. And the, the other thing I was going to mention when you said that the basics of sun, soil and water, yeah, there was a, a beautiful community garden in one of these near one of the schools where where I was living at one point and it was beautiful except that it was so shady. <laughs> and and you can do things in the shade but you're very- but as a school garden and and their initial thought was to teach you know teach the kids to raise food that they could then eat and because of that initial choice of where they put the garden and or the trees that were planted around that that grew up, it really did limit it. And so, as you said, even though it's it's kind of basic, it doesn't mean that it's not continually being um, being overlooked and and then causing a problem. So, what it, what would you say about soil? So you said sun, soil, and water. And if, as you said earlier, a lot of the places aren't going to have great soil to start with. So what's, what would you recommend for folks? Yeah, what I, what, you know, normally if you've got enough forethought, you can start making compost. But generally when you get started, you're not going to have access to compost. And compost is, is your primary best soil builder you can find because it introduces all this microbial matter into the soil that works around the clock. I mean, the worms, you come in the house, go to bed at night, the worms are out there working, you know, <laughs> and uh, it's wonderful, you know, and and so because you're not going to find compost that readily available, you may have to go out and look for old rotted manure, and I say old rotted because it's going to be broken down, you know, like generally what I do in, in, I used to set up a lot of community gardens 
in the 80s. And what we would do is immediately look for where's the nearest horse stable. And when we found the horse stable, we'd go in the back and we'd say, you got any of that really black stuff back in there? And then they'd say, yeah, it's over the side behind the barn. It's hard to get in there. But that was the beautiful black, you know, stuff that had decomposed and broken down. And we would start with that. And then once we got that going, then we would start building compost piles. And there's two basic composting methods you can use. You can build a hot pile, which either involves hay and manure. Uh, you can supplement animal manures for green matter that heats up real well. And those are hot piles. That's the, the better quality. Now, I wouldn't say it's better quality, but it's just real high quality, but it's also labor intensive. But what people are doing now is they're building worm beds. And that's the more practical approach is uh, – Get containers or have a bed that you can designate an area that's covered, protected, and then and then uh, set up worm a worm operation. And generally, you have to go out and buy the worms uh, because most people use the California red wigglers. But and you can see the food scraps. And there's a lot of stuff out there, a lot of information out there. On my blog site, there's uh, information about starting a worm box, and I go through it. Do you want to share that that website address of your blog right now while we're talking about it? Yeah, my blog my blog is just basic information and and it's about regenerative methods and it's I'm using it to promote my book and uh, it's my name Frank Holzman dot blogspot dot com. So that's it. Frankholzman.blogspot.com. And I try to do a little monthly thing in there. Like I just recently did one on pruning fruit trees. Real simple. Uh, I did one in January, which is a three-part on on regenerating land. And it's kind of extensive. But it was also information I, I used to... Uh, at a conference I was at out in Oregon. So your book, your blog, what would you say the kind of the the number one thing that you would like people to know and you might have already touched on it in some of the things that we talked about but you know if somebody's getting ready to start a community garden they you know their their minds are probably just overflowing with information and some of the things that you already mentioned are great like just think about the long term and see if you can get a commitment to that yeah make a garden well make a garden the garden has got to be fun it's got to be fun. It's going to be a learning experience. There's so much to learn. And, and, that, uh, and my approach to working with a piece of land is I try to heal the land, but it in turn heals you. And that leads into the whole thing of horticulture therapy, which a lot of people, well, I don't want to do horticulture therapy, but you do do horticulture therapy. People say it's so relaxing to be out in the garden, you know, and they love doing it. I'm doing these projects right now where I'm setting up, uh, and this is another group garden that people might want to consider. There's all sorts of different with school gardens. You mentioned you mentioned community gardens. Another idea is to do uh, barrier-free gardens, which is extremely rewarding. It's uh, I'm going in and setting up. I've done I've done them. I've done them over the decades, but I don't do them regularly. But I'm doing them this year is I'm setting up some gardens that are barrier-free, which means they're accessible to people who are disabled. Uh, so they're wheelchair access gardens. And I'm doing some work at the VA center. I'm working with a day treatment program, a day center, you know, these people who live in group homes, 
uh, they're mentally and physically disabled. So they live in group homes, and in the daytime, they have to go out, and they go to these centers where there's activities for them to do every day. And one day, it'll be me coming in and working in the garden. It'll be composed of boxes and containers that are wheelchair accessible. And, uh, you know, those gardens, now those are gardens that are not real productive, nor are they real beautiful, but they are real fun. (laughs) It's all about having fun. And these people just have a blast. That's the whole deal. That's the the objective. That's what we're trying to achieve. Did you have fun today? They're like, yeah, they're throwing seeds all over the place. It's wild, (laughs) but it's fun, you know, and it's very rewarding. And it's rewarding for me, too. Uh, I'm working with a guy right now at the Veterans Administration. He's a quadruple amputee, so he doesn't have a lot to work with physically, but he gardens, and he's into it, and so I'm going to work with him. And uh, work, and he manages to get out there in his wheelchair, and he's got he's got some fingers, and he's doing this stuff, and I'm, you know, he, he's inspiring to be with. And so I'm like, yeah, I want to work with you. Yeah, absolutely. I'll probably gain a lot from being around you, you know? So that kind of stuff is really good. That is, that's an excellent paradigm for people to, to adopt as they're going into a project like this, that it's our opportunity to heal the land, the land is going to heal us, and that by working together, that we have the opportunity yeah, to to heal each other. And I think a lot of those words like feeling grounded, it's like you stick your hands in the ground, you feel grounded. It's a wonderful thing for you to do with your children. What a bonding experience, you know, you know, it's like, and, and it's, it creates a balance that most of our, most of us are missing in our lives because they go to work, you know, work can be stressful. So they go out and work in the garden afterwards rather than sit there and just watch TV. You know, and so, yeah, there's a time I guess you need to vegetate, but there's also time to get out and relax and move around, get some sunshine, get some vitamin D, breathe, you know, all this stuff. And that's what everybody's trying to do right now. They're taking yoga classes, they're taking meditation. I'm sure that stuff is all very rewarding and fulfilling, but so are gardens. Well, I, I you know, love that you just said... And they can do said, a lot for you. You said vegetate, you know, so this would be vegetable-tate. There's <laughs> another way to, to to veg out is by by just... Being with your vegetables. Exactly. And make, and also making a, making a connection with your food, too. You know, we have such a disconnect with our food. It's incredible. And that isn't something that just happened. I mean, that's been going on for generations, That goes all the way back, I think, to the 40s. I don't know. I wasn't around in the 40s. But since I've been around, you know, you hear from your, I guess people will say they hear from their grandparents. I would have heard from my parents that, you know, back in the day, we grew our own food. But that has never been in my life. You know, I come from a small factory town in the Midwest. And, you know, we ate, you know, we ate canned food and frozen food and TV dinners and all that kind of stuff. And people didn't have a connection with their food then. They don't have it now. So I think there's a, but I think there's a desire to have a connection with your food now. That's why these farmers markets are very popular and they've popped up all over the country, but people still don't have a connection, you know? So learning, learning about what grows and how it grows, it's not the idea that, Oh, I want to learn all about food. No, it's just, just, just starting to get connected with your food, you know, so that, 
Like for instance, I haven't had a t- I haven't had a fresh tomato since last fall, and that's not strange. That's the way I've been living for you know thirty forty years now. I never have a fresh tomato in the in the winter time. I won't have a fresh tomato until July. That's when my tomatoes start coming in. So that's just part of my lifestyle. You know, I eat I eat, well I eat seasonally because I grow my own food. It forces me to eat seasonally. But uh, and because I'm in the South where it's hot, I won't eat salads in the summer unless I can do a little bit of this, that, and the other. But they're not that good, you know, where I'm at. Where I'm at. So I tend I tend to have like cherry tomatoes and cucumbers and no lettuce to put them on, you know, but that's just, that's just part of living with, with in your surroundings, you know, being connected with your food, eating seasonally and, and understanding all that, you know, because we, we don't, we don't know, you know, you go out to a restaurant and they're bringing you food and you're like, where'd that come from? You know, and you don't want to know, honestly, but, uh, and then it's 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 so ironic, you know, because we spray all these chemicals on this stuff, and then we get, we have bans on chemicals that we can't use in this country. Yet we sell the chemicals to developing countries, and they sell the food back to us. So, uh, you know, it defeats our purpose. One other thing I wanted to mention to anyone listening, I don't know in every single location what the resources are out there, but I know that the extensions, the state extensions can be very helpful as well as in, yeah, in, Den- yeah. in Denver, we have a, a nonprofit called Denver Urban Gardens and they're, they have a lot of resources there as well. So just as with everything, Green Team, remember that that there are people out there that want to help you. And by you not asking, you are limiting their ability to fulfill their mission. So make sure that go out there, find other community gardens in your in your area, go talk with them, ask them how they did it, you know, that you can learn from each other what these different resources are that, you know, I know there's Colorado Gardening Foundation and I was involved in a, a team that then got a grant for uh, doing a sensory garden at a school from the Colorado Garden Foundation. So, and then th- there was a student from the university that came and did the design. So, just I think going at it with that, I love what what Frank was saying. Going at it with that long-term intention. You know, if you want to have a flourishing garden in ten years. If things don't go well the first year or two, things are costing more than the money that you have, or you're not finding the resources. But you're so right about that. There's there's an abundant resources out there, and the university is one of them, and then there's a lot of other resources. So, yeah, make use of them. Absolutely. That's a good point. There's all sorts of stuff out there. The name of your book again, and just remind people how they can find that. It's Radical Regenerative Gardening and Farming. And you either type that into a search engine, it'll probably pop up Amazon, but any number of book sites, Barnes and Nobles, Target, all these other things, it pops up all over the place. And, or you can just type in my name and it'll immediately be a link to my book because that's the, uh, the nice thing about having a publisher because the bad thing is I don't make any money, but that's okay. I didn't do this to get, you know, I don't do any of this to get rich, you know, but I am rich. But I am rich in the sense that I eat better than the kings and queens, and I've had a fruitful life. So, you know, I have to look at it that way. And I don't, I don't, 
usually need a doctor, and I didn't need one when I had when my kids were growing up. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Frank. And I think your your guidance to consider this as to take a spiritual approach to doing your gardening and thinking about healing the land, what we can do to heal the land, and in turn allowing it to heal ourselves and our community, our families, our relationship to food, just on and on. Thank you so much for all the the work that you've done with this and for sharing the information in your book. And so I hope people will, will look that up. Again, it's Radical Regenerative Gardening and Farming. Okay, well, thanks again. I really appreciate you taking the time to share with us all your life's work. It's such important stuff and something that I think anybody can can do to some level is figure out uh, some way to to promote gardening in their community. So thanks thanks for the guidance. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Joan. Okay, so green team, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. And remember, the time for action is now because there is no planet B. See you soon. You, my friend, are doing such important work. Caring about the planet and trying to figure out how to make an impact fast. You're exactly the kind of person that our world needs more of. To make sure that you're not wasting your precious time or energy, make sure you head over to greenteamacademy.com. Check out the expert trainings that are available and get your Green Team Essentials so you'll get the support you need. Thank you for everything you're doing and I'll see you right back here next time on the Green Team Academy podcast.